Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled Sustained by Grace and is part two in our little mini-series on a passage of Scripture that we find in the book of John chapter 1, in which we read that through Christ we have received grace for grace. Last week on the broadcast, we devoted our time to thinking about how we receive grace for grace from the Lord as it relates to our eternal deliverance from sin. And as we said, as we introduced that broadcast, that's an interesting statement. It's one that causes people to do some mental gymnastics to try to process and to digest. I remarked that more modern Bible translations reword that, contrary to how it's worded in the original language, and will say things like grace upon grace. But quite literally what this passage, John 1.16, says in the original language and in the KJV, is that we have received from the Lord grace for grace. Now, if you didn't tune in to the broadcast last week, I would encourage you to go and listen to that. You can go to flintriverpbc.org and find a copy of that free, available to download. We're thankful and happy to provide that for you. You can go there to our radio archive and download any recent program and keep that forever or share it with people that you know. And it's our privilege to make those resources available to you. But as we emphasized on the broadcast last week, we have received from the Lord grace for grace. And how we tried to express that to you, it's quite literally grace for grace. Because of God's grace of electing people before the foundation of the world, Jesus came into the world and he died for people, redeeming them also by grace. And so, because of one grace that God gave us, God the Father electing us in grace, God the Son came into the world and redeemed us by grace. Because God the Son came into the world and redeemed us by grace, God the Spirit, at some point between our conception and death, will quicken us. He will save us from death in trespasses and in sins. We will be spiritually resurrected at some point in our natural lives. Every single person that was justified or redeemed by Christ on the cross will be quickened, and everyone that God the Father chose in grace before the foundation of the world, they were redeemed by Jesus upon the cross, and they will be quickened at some point in their life. As we noticed last week from Romans chapter 8, the same group that was foreknown and predestinated was justified and called and shall be glorified. There's not a different group of people who were elected than redeemed, and there's not a different group of people who were redeemed than will be regenerated, but everyone that was foreknown and predestinated will be called, justified, and eventually glorified. And because of that, as we concluded the broadcast last week, if God be for us, who can be against us? And again, that is thinking about eternal salvation In light of this statement that John wrote under divine inspiration in John 1.16 that 
of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. One of his graces causes him to give us another of his graces and another of his graces, and eventually we'll be with him in glory in the new heavens and new earth in a world that cannot be corrupted by sin, fully conformed to the image of Jesus, where we will be with God in a perfect physical paradise for all of eternity because of these graces that he has given us. Grace for grace. Today we want to bring this to a little more of a practical application as we think about how God sustains us each and every day by what some theologians have referred to as the means of grace. Now we have to be careful anytime we use theological terms because though many Christians use the same vocabulary words, they don't necessarily use the same definition. So the first thing I want to do is define what I mean by means of grace. And again, what we're going to talk about today is where we're sustained by God in his grace through nourishment by what we call the means of grace. God has given us grace for grace. Everything we have by God is by his grace. We don't deserve it. It's unmerited. And I would argue that God is so gracious and we are so sinful that even the daily sustenance we have from him is something that he has given to us by his grace. In other words, we don't deserve it. To define this term means of grace, I want to turn to a very popular theological resource for Americans today, and that's Wikipedia. I hope you caught the joke there. But from Wikipedia, that term, means of grace, is defined as follows. The means of grace in Christian theology are those things, the means, through which God gives grace. Just what this grace entails is interpreted in various ways. Generally speaking, some see it as God blessing mankind so as to sustain and empower the Christian life. Others see it as forgiveness, life, and salvation. Now, as an old-school, historic, primitive Baptist, obviously, when I use the phrase, which I do very reluctantly, but it fits with our current series, as I use the phrase, means of grace, I use that phrase to refer to God-blessing humans to sustain and empower the Christian life. So when I talk about today the means of grace, understand that I'm talking about something practical. I'm not talking about something eternal. I'm not speaking today, though we did last week. I'm not speaking today about your forgiveness of sins. I'm not speaking about redemption. I'm not speaking about election or regeneration, the resurrection or glorification. I'm speaking about our daily nourishment from God, through what many theologians in church history have referred to as the means of grace, where God in his grace gives us blessings in his house as we read his word, as we worship him, as we pray to him. All along the way, he blesses us with food that we don't deserve, little graces here and there that sustain us and nourish us here in this life. Now, because that definition, you notice, was twofold, and it was an either-or thing, not a both, our people today, Primitive Baptists, generally don't use this terminology because the last thing we want to do in a country with 
dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of types of Christians. The last thing we want to do is confuse people. We don't want to confuse you by using theological language that's not in Scripture that can be interpreted in various different ways. But as we think about receiving grace for grace, I do want to emphasize the point today that what some theologians call the means of grace, God blessing you with nourishment and sustenance to sustain and empower your Christian life, that also finds itself under the umbrella of God giving us grace for grace. Now, the first point that I want to emphasize for you today, as we think about what some would call the means of grace, and again, I use that term very seldom and we have reference to God giving us, through His grace, sustenance throughout our lives as people who are already born again and people who will be with Him in glory because of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first point that I want to make is that whether we're talking about things that relate to our eternal deliverance or we're talking about practical godliness, God's providential care for us in our lives, His blessing us in any way, that is something that is also given to you by grace. And I would insist that everything we have from God was purchased for us by the Lord Jesus upon the cross of Calvary. We're nothing without Him. Even as it relates to our daily lives, every good and spiritual blessing we have comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Our daily nourishment, the physical home that we live in, everything we have is something given to us because God is gracious. And if God is gracious in giving it, then it is a grace that He has given us. And all of the grace that we have given to us comes through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether we're talking about foreknowing, predestinating, calling, justifying, and glorifying, or we're talking about God blessing us to hear a sermon and be fed spiritually, or God answering a prayer, or God blessing us with His providence because He loves us, all that we have as His people is special. Now, there is a sort of a care that God has for the world over all of his creatures. He feeds the sparrows. He clothes the field with lilies. And that's not based upon his love or his grace. That's his faithfulness as the creator. I'm talking about something special between God and his children. God's care of you is different. And his providence, his blessing of them is based upon the fact that when he looks at his children, he doesn't see them as if they are corrupted, ruined criminals at enmity with him. Legally, listen to this, God the Father views the elect as if they have the righteousness of Christ, because upon the cross of Calvary, even before that righteousness is vitally given to them, because of the cross of Calvary, God sees them as if they lived the very life of the Lord Jesus. As Jesus hung upon the cross of Calvary, he that knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And upon the cross, that transaction occurred. We were justified by the blood of Jesus once and for all in God's sight, in God's courtroom, when Jesus died upon the cross. And he says with a loud voice, it is finished. And I would submit to you that every blessing that we have that comes from God as a child of God, is because God looks at us as if we live the perfect life of His Son, Jesus Christ. Again, there is God's 
faithful providence over creation that is, in general, to the entire universe. But there's God's special care over His people, and that's what we have under consideration today. Now, every blessing we have that God gives us as His special people comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have nothing outside of Christ. How do we pray? Well, we are to pray in whose name? In Jesus' name. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because whatever we ask of the Father in Jesus' name, He will give us, if it's His will to do so. And please understand, I'm not sharing with you a prosperity gospel message today. God says no to His children a lot. And the love of money is the root of all evil. When we desire to be rich, we pierce ourselves through with many sorrows. But what we ask in Jesus' name, if it is God's will to give it to us, He gives it to us. Notice this in Romans 8.32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall not he with him also freely give us all things? Everything that we have that comes from God that is good as his people is given because Jesus died for us upon the cross. Everything we have is in Christ. We have been given all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. What we have from God, if it is spiritual, if it is a blessing upon us as his covenant people, we have it through Christ. So the first point I wanted to emphasize as we elaborate more on this concept of grace for grace is that we have what we have through the death of the Lord Jesus as he died for us to save us from our sins by his grace. Now back to this concept of means of grace. And again, obviously we don't use this term, but we would agree that God has an ordinary method or ordinary means to strengthen and empower us, to nourish us and sustain us. These ordinary means of sustaining his people are chiefly singing, praying, preaching, and reading the Bible. Now, do you see God's people unhealthy in a spiritual sense? And I'm talking about spiritual things right now. Do you see God's people generally as unhealthy spiritually in our country today? I believe that one could argue that, yes, God's people are very spiritually unhealthy in our country today. Would it also surprise you to know that God's children do not go to church as often in today's time as they should? You'd probably not be surprised to know that, especially since COVID-19. Many people decided they don't need to go to church anymore. Of the people that go to church, now let's dig into this a little more. Let's peel back another layer of this. Of the people who go to church, how many of them go to churches that enable the participation of the singing of hymns, or do they go to church where they listen to a professional quality band perform for them? I'm going to tell you, there's a major difference in singing hymns to God and listening to a professional group of people perform music. There's a huge difference in that. Now, you know me, and you know that I'm a local trumpet player and trumpet teacher, and I participate in any number of groups, and I play in pit orchestras, and I work with young bands to help their brass play better. I hear a lot of music, and it does something for me. But that's not what God has ordained to sustain me listening to a full chord or beautiful tone quality. Yes, it excites me. Yes, I enjoy it. But when God's people sing, when they sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, when they sing, Be Thou My Vision, when they sing, Abide With Me, when they sing, As thirst the heart for water brooks, so thirst my soul, O God, for Thee. As they sing to God, God blesses them with grace that nourishes them. So 
many Christians today don't go to church. Of those that do, oftentimes they hear or watch a production. But what God gave us in His church was to speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in their heart to the Lord. What God gave us in the church is participatory, and as we sing to God and speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and we do that often, we're built up in grace. We're strengthened in grace. God administers grace to us through doing that. As we sing, God is so gracious, He blesses us to be filled with the Spirit, and we receive grace through that. We are strengthened through that. We're nourished through that. Now, as we go to church and we pray, and the prayers are real, and they're spontaneous, and people are really calling out to God, and they're really emptying their heart of their burdens, and God is there, and He hears, and He's in the room, and people feel His presence, His people are sustained by that. That's grace for grace, because He's given us grace in His Son Jesus and in salvation. Well, as we come to Him and we pray, we receive grace to help in our time of need. There is a correlation in praying to God and receiving grace. And this is why some of our forefathers would call this the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace. Now, I'm going to make a comment in a moment on this word ordinary. So I want you to hold on to that. Ordinary, plain, regular, something that we find commonplace in our lives. Ordinary. We, when we pray to God, when we come boldly to the throne of grace, we find grace to help in time of need. Now, that actually comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. As I was thinking about this concept of daily sustenance and how this is also a grace that God gives us as He nourishes us, as we're filled with the Spirit when we sing, as He hears us and answers our prayers when we pray, the statement in Hebrews 4.16 entered into my mind, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We find grace to help in time of need. When we pray, God turns on the grace. When we pray, He pours out grace, and we find grace to help in time of need because we boldly go to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. When we go to God and we say, Lord, I can't do anything about this. There's nothing that I can do. I'm in over my head. Please help me. I'm worried. I'm scared. What time I was afraid, I called out unto you. God hears in heaven, and though we are powerless worms of the dirt, to borrow phrasing from the Psalms, God blesses us. He gives us what we stand in need of, and He is gracious when He does that, and that is a grace we receive in our daily personal lives. So this is an ordinary means through which God blesses us with a little portion of His grace. We come to Him as His children. We ask Him at the throne of grace boldly for what we stand in need of, and we find grace there to help in time of need. What's another ordinary way that God empowers and strengthens and nourishes and sustains us by His grace? Well, He does that when we hear preaching. Now, I could get on another little mini tirade or rant on my soapbox about Christianity and Christians who don't go to church because they don't feel like they need it. I could talk about how we as ministers have dropped the ball in our country when we want to give motivational talks instead of preaching the Word of God. 
But it is the preaching of the Word of God that builds us up, that assures us, that sustains us, that informs us. Preachers are commanded in the Word of God to reprove and rebuke and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. That is our purpose as ministers to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. The Word of God thoroughly furnishes us. 2 Timothy 3.16, the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, correction, reproof, instruction, and righteousness. When God's people don't have the Word of God explained to them and preached to them in power and demonstration on a regular basis, it's like a person that doesn't eat. Now, they might eat something. It won't be healthy. Maybe they just eat cotton candy. Maybe they're literally starving to death because they're not ingesting anything. They will be malnourished. They will be sickly. They're prone to disease. They won't have a long lifespan. But if you eat healthy food and you eat plenty of food— You're going to be someone who has better health. You're going to have strength to do whatever it is that you need to do in this world. That is what preaching does for the soul of God's children. Again, I'm not talking about a five-paragraph essay that a man delivers in 15 minutes where he gives you some motivational advice. I'm not talking about someone who tickles the flesh. I'm not talking about people who share false doctrine to mislead or bewitch God's people. I'm talking about people who are really genuinely trying to preach the Word to the best of their ability. doesn't mean they all agree with each other or that they all agree with me, but I'm talking about real preachers. When they preach the Word, and listen, if you've got a pastor who's trying to preach the Word faithfully, God bless him. You need to be thankful for him. But if they're trying to preach the Word, people are going to be blessed when they hear that. They're going to be sustained. They're going to be nourished. It is going to impact their lives. It empowers them, it strengthens them, it nourishes them, and it sustains them. We need preaching. Now, another little ordinary means by which God blesses us with strength and sustenance, grace for grace, if you will, is simply reading His Word. And we're all guilty of not reading His Word as much as we ought to, I believe, in our very distracted, social media-addicted American culture. But we need to regularly ingest the Word. Other books are fine to read. I read all kinds of books. Yesterday on my lap was a book by Athanasius. So I'm reading ancient, ancient writings about the eternal sonship of Christ and the incarnation of God as the Son of Man, as the Lord Jesus Christ. There's all sorts of things that we can and should be reading, daily devotions, writers of church history. But the thing that we need to be reading for our sustenance is the Bible. Those other things are supplemental. I compare them often to supplements if you're a weightlifter. There are supplements you could take, protein shakes, pre-workout things that are helpful, that can help you, but nothing is better than eating some eggs or eating steak or vegetables or complex carbohydrates. Nothing is better than that. There is the primary source and there are supplemental sources And I want us to know that the Word of God is the primary source. And all of these other books and sermons and writings and podcasts and videos and the other things that we ingest, those are supplemental to the Word, but we need the Word. We need it every day. It's like a meal for us. There's many things we need to fast from in the world, but the Word of God is something that we don't need to fast from. We need the Word of God each and every day. Now, you remember the phrase we shared with you that theologians use, the means of grace by which God blesses humans to sustain and empower the Christian life. 
there was a word that I attached to that that's often used in theological writings, and it's the word ordinary. Sometimes we think that we need a celebrity preacher-driven conference disconnected from the local church in some major city in some rented coliseum to spark revival. But did you know that God sparks revival, real revival, through the ordinary means of sustaining his children? The ordinary, that which is so commonly overlooked in the celebrity Christian megachurch culture, but the ordinary, that which is regular, that which he has given to us, that which is biblical. Do you find conferences and celebrity preachers and coliseums that you have to buy tickets to enter to enjoy with professional bands? Do you find that in the Word of God? I don't. I find preachers and pastors and church members and assemblies and church services and imperfect singing and heartfelt prayers and sermons, sometimes that were dialogues between preachers and those that they minister to, and that's what causes the major impact in the world, not these other things that are so often emphasized above what we find every Lord's Day in the Lord's house. Revival should come through these ordinary ways of God distributing His grace to empower and strengthen and nourish and sustain us. There are two passages that I want to bring to your attention and read before you before we close our broadcast today. The first is found in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. Now, this is written to the nation of Israel, to the Hebrews, before their judgment from God. You have to remember, Hebrews is written to a pre-judgment of God Hebrew society where many Hebrew Christians were trying to keep the law but also worshiping Christ. Some of them had departed from Christianity back to what they knew in the Old Testament, and God was going to judge their culture. In 70 AD, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, everything that they knew came to a screeching halt, and there would be other skirmishes that would occur, defeats of the people of Israel who were not followers of Christ before that entire way of life just came to an end in the first and second century. Paul writes, I believe, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, How shall we escape? Now, again, escape there has reference to God's judgment here in this world. But if we neglect so great salvation. Now, that doesn't say how shall we escape if we reject but neglect. And I would just emphatically insist to you that you cannot neglect something you don't have. Remember, Paul is writing this to holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling here in the book of Hebrews. This is written to people who know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, that's the new birth, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. This is an exhortation to people who are born again. How shall we escape God's judgment as a people? to the nation of Israel in Paul's day, if we neglect so great salvation. What I want to latch on to from that is, you and I can neglect our salvation. You and I are saved. But we don't give it the attention that we need to. We stand in need of daily sustenance to sustain us, to nourish us, to empower us as believers. We need God's sustaining grace each and every day of our lives. Do you feel anemic? Do you feel spiritually unhealthy? Might I encourage you to go where those ordinary means of enabling, 
of sustaining, of empowering, of strengthening and nourishing are found. It's not going to be found at a racetrack or a ball field or a lake on top of a bass boat. It's going to be found in a sound church with a real preacher where the Lord is present through the Holy Spirit, invigorating you, granting you assurance and empowering, strengthening, nourishing and sustaining you. That's where you're going to find strength. That's what it looks like when we're not neglecting this salvation that he has given us, when we're in his church worshiping him. And so I would just exhort you to fully participate in God's house, the place he established to hear, learn, worship, and pray. We'll close with the simple reading of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to write and let me know that you've received the broadcast, and also to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.